Welcome to Pathfinding. Mechanics, mechanics. I've determined for the first three uh, Pathfinding live streams videos, the very first word I wanted to say was mechanics. Mechanics for the first one, mechanics, mechanics for the second one, and mechanics, mechanics, mechanics in the next one. After that, I'll be done with that. But there's a reason for that, and that's because I really want to start this venture and just impress upon myself and the live stream and the audience and the future audience that mechanics is going to be one of the key words, key ideas behind everything I talk about and all the presentation that I do. So with that, let me just say a welcome to Pathfinding. Um, I'm Peter, a British guy uh, living in north of England. In the first stream I did about a week ago, it was more of a hello. So I did cover some grounds about the kind of things I'm going to be talking about. It's not really, it's not really just what I'm going to be talking about. It's who is Pathfinding for? And in, in a way, who am I? If pathfinding is going to be successful at all in, in, in uh, presenting tools for life that we can use for life, then I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to quite often refer to the struggles in learning that I had myself. So it, it's going to have to be a bit personal. Today, when I was preparing for the stream, I was thinking about uh, a metaphor. And this, this idea came to me. I, um, I thought about when I was young, what lessons would I like to have learned? If I could go back, I'm in my 50s now, if I could go back and, and teach myself, um, what would I, what tools could I give myself? And that's basically what pathfinding is going to be, really. It's going to be tools that we can use. You know, it's going to cover science and biology and basically everything, ontology, philosophy, metaphysics, spirituality. And I think even those people who are not interested in spirituality, don't believe in God, don't even want to talk about uh, religious or uh, godly things, that's fine as well because one of the other themes of pathfinding is everything in it has to be true, even on an atheist point of view, somebody who doesn't believe in God. So the tools that I want to talk about, that I want, I want to give, I've learned from other places and, and developed myself. They should be able to be put into action whether, whether somebody believes in God or not. I happen to believe in God, so I happen to believe there's a holistic principle behind everything. At the core of what we say, spiritual principles or theology, I think the exact same principles uh, behind the physical world are <coughs> naturalistic things. So I'll be, I'll be jumping in the examples and metaphors I give and uh, between one and the other. And if, if people also believe in God, they can learn from both sides, but if they don't, I think almost everything I have to say in these talks will still be useful. So the metaphor that I came up with is when when I was younger, I was learning about life. I, you know, I had a difficult past life, not not much of a family, so you don't you don't get um, nurtured in natural, almost unconscious development just through being part of a family. So you, you grow up and into your teens and early twenties with a lot of things missing, a lot of a lot of tools that you don't have for life. And a lot of lack of development as well, and not not only not only not having the knowledge how to fix that problem, lack of development, but not even understanding that you have the problem. 
or if you're even aware of something not quite working internally, not really knowing what it is. And so um, when I was younger in my 20s, I, I, I did become, I was a bit of a tearaway in my teens. And uh, I was a punk, I got in trouble with the police, that kind of stuff. Nothing too horrible, but um, in my 20s, late teens, 20s, I became a Christian. And then I started thinking about self-development, spiritual development, and but also psychological stuff and, and just general life skills. And naturally, I looked at elders for guidance, going to church or going to talks or philosophy groups, that, that kind of thing. And one thing I have, one thing I experienced was it, it, people would often tell you what's a good way to live and, and a not good way to live, so what to do and what not to do. They would often tell you the ultimate destination that you really want, such as, well, if you're coming at it from a more Christian point of view, uh, developing your spirit, developing your relationship with God, growing and maturing, that kind of thing. And so, they, you know, you would get advice about um, what to do, what not to do, what your ultimate destination is. And so I, I thought of the metaphor of, of somebody who wants to climb a mountain, because really that's what life's like, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a hard climb, and it gets steeper the, <laughs> the further you go up. So, so I thought about that, and I thought it's, it was a little bit like when I was younger, it was a little bit like somebody coming and saying, well, what you need to do is get to the top of the mountain. And... So that's like telling somebody what their goal is in life, uh, and then and then saying to the person, "What well, you should here's what you should do and shouldn't do. You should go up, but you shouldn't go down." Um, and that that's it. So when you're young and people just just tell you, "Be a good person and uh, you should be perfect. You should love God. You should be pure, be innocent, and do good things, don't do bad things." They're very general picture things. The advice is very very generalistic. But there often isn't any practical, mechanical tools that they give you in understanding. And the same if somebody was, if you, somebody, if you were advising somebody, you have to climb that mountain and get to the top, and all you really told them was, make sure you're going up and not down, and your objective is to be at the top of the mountain, not the bottom of the mountain. If that person doesn't have climbing skills or climbing tools, or even a map, then. Just those general direction um, advices aren't going to help that much. Let me just pause this chat for a while while I just, I think, I have to just load the chat. The chat in Restreams in case anybody wants to send a message. So, so really, what pathfinding is about is it's some things I've picked up through a lot of wise people that I've come across in my life. And it's also, um, pathfinding is also uh, things that I've read and learned, but also a lot of trial and error experience. I think that's called inductive wisdom. It's wisdom that you sort of absorb through trying this and that and seeing what works and what doesn't work. What I call inherited wisdom is more what you might learn from a Bible or from a psychology book or a self-help book or from uh, some elders in your community or maybe your family or some wise teacher. So um, pathfinding is going to be a mix of all of them. And uh, let me just uh, change the view here. In fact, I'll give you a side view. So yeah, let, let me go past the announcements. Sounds like a church MC. So, um, so introduction to pathfinding, I'm supposed to 
make this one go out of the way so it doesn't distract you. So l let me go over some of the themes and topics. One topic is going to be ontology. And that can be, that can be a bit of an intimidating word. And if I'm completely honest, I only really learned it so some years ago. Um, so, see, now I can't see it because I've got, <laughs> got this camera blocking my view. Let me just move it down. So, yeah, uh, I picked up this def definitionary online, this dictionary definition online. I liked it. So, ontology, ontology is the branch of philosophy that studies concepts such as, exist, such as existence, being, becoming, and reality. It sounds almost like personal development, doesn't it? But it includes the question of how entities are grouped into basic categories uh, and which of these entities exist on the most fundamental level. So really, ontology is about understanding the nature of reality and what it means to be human. Some, it, from our point of view, it would be something like that. And really, from the very most fundamental things to human-level things, mid-range things that we're interested in, to super-high-level things that we wonder about, such as life after death and do we have a spirit. So ontology really covers everything. It's understanding the nature of reality. So that's one aspect of what pathfinding will be talking about. And another one is, yeah, just simple physics, the absolute fundamentals of our... I wouldn't say fundamentals of our existence because I don't think physics, chemistry, biology, science in general is. I think we have a soul an eternal mind. But again, if somebody doesn't believe that, then you can just take this as the, the starting point, the, the fundamentals. So physics, chemistry, and biology, especially physics and chemistry, is the fundamentals of everything that we experience in the material world, everything that we are. But there's even going to be some, you know, some interesting talks about that. Um, maybe I can give a, a mini preview there. One talk I'll be giving is, I think it will be called just Matter Doesn't Exist. We think of everything as being made up of matter and matter itself. There's two states, matter and energy. But um, anyway, the, so the thesis of that talk will be that matter is just really our perception. Um, and there is just energy, really. So, But we, we will delve into physics, chemistry and biology. I'm not a scientist. I'm not even super educated. But I've been around a lot of people who are on science and, and struggle through conversations with them. I learned enough. Uh, I can find some fascinating aspects about them. And it's really important to understand the fundamentals of our existence, of material existence, in order to understand high-level things. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be referring back to the scientific world and the natural world, even if we're talking about you know, deep, complicated things. And then there's evolution. Again, evolution is changing the inheritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's about what it is, evolution. There's, um, most people have a, a narrow understanding of evolution. They think evolution is just about, um, about different animals fight each other, the ones who survive with the better characteristics get to pass on those characteristics to future generations. And so the world that we see around us is all those animals, all plants that have characteristics that won out, or either over their rivals in the same species or other species, or over the environment. But there is actually more to evolution than that, and we will we will go into that also. Next is anthropology. Let me scroll it down so I can see it better. So, yeah, anthropology is an interesting one. 
Um, when you think of that word anthropology, you, you sort of imagine some dusty gray old professor in a lab or digging, digging out in the countryside and uh, finding bones and studying them. But it's actually quite fascinating. So, oh gosh, I can't, it's hard to read. So anthropology is the study of what makes us human. Anthropologists take a broader approach to understanding, understanding many different aspects of the human experience, which we call holism. Uh, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not familiar with that word. I would have expected it to begin with a W, like holism. Um, they consider the past through archaeology to see how human groups lived hundreds or even thousands of years ago and what was important to them. Really, we're the product of um, how human beings lived throughout, throughout the millennia. And so it helps us to understand that when human beings, for example, when human beings lived in tribes, mostly of between 20 and 100, because at that time when there was no agrarian culture, they couldn't really sustain themselves in bigger groups. When human beings lived in those tribes, they developed social skill sets of dealing with things. And we see, that, we see this coming out a lot now because we basically have social media, which is very worrying to people because people feel the glare of tens of millions or billions of people on them. But we're really, and, and so they, they care sometimes more about what strangers they'll never meet think, but we're really not involved. We're not evolved to live like that. We're evolved to care about what people think, who we have relationships with, or who, at least who we rely on for survival. And so understanding anthropology is a great way to understand the human condition and to understand ourself and how we react when we're around other human beings. And the more we understand that, the more we can uh, be in charge of our self-development, the more we can find our path. Pathfinding, see, get it? So um, next is psychology. Yeah, psychology is obviously a fascinating one. That's why Jordan Peterson has become like the messiah of um, understanding human nature. And um, he's, he's basically the person that's really revitalized uh, people's passion for science and psychology. And, and they can see how psychology, because Jordan Peterson talks about everything, every topic just about. And that's because everything we're really interested in revolves around people. If you look at any newspaper or if you look at any news website, it's almost never about things. And even if it is, there's always people involved. It's just people, people, people. Every picture and every story is just pictures of people. We're obsessed with people, aren't we? So, yeah, and that's because people are fascinating. People are the most fascinating thing we know. So psychology is really, uh, let's read it. Psychology is a study of the mind and behavior. This includes the structure and function of the brain, as well as the brain software. I wrote that. As well as the <laughs> brain software, the mind. Some of which is hard by... So yeah, this wasn't taken as a dictionary definition. The first sentence was, psychology is the study of the mind and behavior, but I felt like it needed some embellishment. So, so I wrote, um, this includes the structure and function of the brain, as well as the brain software, which is the mind. Some of which is hardwired. We're born with it, and it basically rules us, even though we can fight against it a little bit and, and decide otherwise. Uh, some of it's which is hardwired, some socially programmed, and some behaviorally ingrained. What I mean by that is we're, we're hardwired to like food. We're hardwired to want sleep. Now, there's lots of things we're hardwired to do. We're hard, I think, well, yeah, we're hardwired to want human company and interactions. And 
some of it is socially programmed. I've lived in I've, lived, I've visited Japan a lot, but I've lived in Korea, I've lived in America, I've lived in the UK, and people look like they're hardwired to think a certain way. But you can tell that it's just um, the culture they grew up in shaped them in that sense. Yeah, and some some of the th some of the habits and ways of thinking and behaving we have is just behaviorally ingrained. We behave a certain way over a certain amount of time, and then it's um, it becomes habitual. And so, yeah, habit is like, um, I like to think of a 17th century coach going along a dirt road, you know. The, the wheels make the rut in the mud as it dries. But then, conversely, the mud itself channels future wheels into that. So we create our own pathways. And that's what rivers do when they, when they carve out pathways as they run down mountains. They initially get attracted to the valleys in the mountains as the water goes down, but then the water itself wears out the land and then it creates its own pathway. All right, so psychology, understanding psychology is just another tool set. And sometimes people specialize in just one of these subjects that I'm talking about. But in reality, if you specialize in just one and you don't really ever incorporate all the others for context, then it be you become a bit detached in your understanding. So pathfinding, yeah, pathfinding's ultimate goal is self-development, charting our course in life, finding the best path to being the best version of ourselves. So understanding all of these things is important. Next is sociology. So I guess you could say sociology is a bit like contemporary and contemporary anthropology. So with anthropology, we look at how people lived all throughout human history to understand people in general, to understand why we are like we are today. Sociology, we really look at um, how we behave today. So here it says, sociology is a study of social life, social change, and the social cause and consequences of human behavior. Sociologists investigate the structure of groups, organizations, and societies, and how people react within these contexts. So yeah, sociology is everywhere. Every company that ever sells anything, they engage in sociology in their market research so they can understand how to influence the groups and how to better sell to the groups. Governments, when they do, do a campaign. So sociology is, um, it's really like, it's kind of like psychology, but studying the hive mind rather than individual mind. Next is theology. So again, as I said, some people might be completely turned off by the idea of even investigating this kind of thing. But actually, again, if I can refer back to Jordan Peterson, as he has shown, he's not um, a theologian, he's not even really a religious person. I'm not sure, but I don't think yet he's a believer. He may be at some point in the future, he may not. But he's recognized that in religion, especially in Judeo-Christianity, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, um, that there's deep, deep wisdom to be found in there. Because these books and, and these religions and these theologies were shaped by tens of thousands of years of human history with the wisest people coming together in each group to distill the wisdom that all these groups have found through, again, through trial and error, not through theoretical things. So even if you, even if you don't believe in God, theology is fascinating. It's not just a bunch of rules to tell people how to believe. Um, it, it's really um, a system for, for living that's been tried and tried and tried and tested to see 
Does it work? Does it improve people's lives? And so, um, yeah, we'll be looking at theology a lot and examine it because personally, I think there's some fascinating things. That's why Jordan Peterson's uh, book on uh, Genesis, sorry, not his book, his, uh, his talks on Genesis were wildly popular. They actually did drive a lot of people who were maybe agnostic, maybe even atheist to faith and others that are not people of faith it just fascinated them and it gave them lots of life lessons and they recognized, yeah, there is something to be learned from that even if I'm not a believer. And so in a similar way, there's a lot of amazingly crazy fascinating things, especially about metaphors and symbols in the Old Testament. Things like the flaming sword that the angel waved around to block Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden or the idea that Eve was made by God putting Adam to sleep and taking a rib out somehow cloning a female version or making make Eve. Things like that that on the surface seem a bit batty and crazy or just at least fanciful. But actually there's, there's a way to understand them. And from my point of view, there's a way to understand them that shows that you can find examples in the natural world, but it's metaphorical uh, language. And so there's, there's a, a amazing, fascinating things to be extracted from those stories. So we'll be going into those, and but again, I ask myself before I craft any talk or give any presentation, can all this be explained in mechanical terms, right? Because I don't believe there's anything that exists, including God himself or herself, that cannot be explained in mechanical terms. Everything has a structure and a function and a way of operating. I mean, look at software. Software has structure, but it's not physical, right? But everything, everything has principles by which it exists and ways in which it functions and it has a purpose and it fits in, in a greater whole. So for me, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's theological, whether it's just uh, uh, an aspect of science, or whether it's God himself or herself, you know, there's a way to explain the mechanics. And so... That's why I, say, I always say mechanics at the beginning, or at least the first three of these talks, because, yeah, everything should be explained in mechanics. Because when I was younger, especially in my 20s, going to church, the, the phrase I, I couldn't bear to hear was just believe. I mean, that's kind of like a cliche phrase that, phrase that atheists think religious people tell each other all the time, but you don't hear it that often. But you do somehow, when you ask complicated questions, you do often come across, well, it's just a matter of faith. But I can't bear that. That concept. I don't even buy into this idea that, uh, that that atheists characterize believers that faith is just something where you just switch off your brain and just follow blindly like a lemming. That's completely not how faith works. And you know, for example, one of the pathfinding talks will be going into the mechanics of faith, how it works. Um, and so, uh, where was I? Oh yeah. So 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 I ask uh, that every talk I give. Has to be able, I have to be able to explain the talk, and I'm going to show you the topics in a, in a moment. I have to be able to explain the talk in terms of mechanics, right? I'm never going to give a talk and just say, this is true, just believe it, I believe it, so you should believe it, or it's, in, it's written in a book, we have to believe it. No, I can't bear that kind of stuff, and I could never bear it when I was younger. Even little kids, right? One of the first words they learn after mommy and daddy and no is, Why? Right, and then if you're even satisfied with the answer, you always get a follow-up and a follow-up and a follow-up. It's amazing. Human be beings were built like that. We want to know why. We want to know the mechanics. We want to know how things work. 
And when we do, we feel more inspired by them. You know, we feel we feel more hopeful that there's a truth to something when we can some, when we can be shown the mechanics. So even if I'm talking about theology or spiritual things, I'm always going to try to push the mechanics of it. All right, what's the next? Next is okay. I think I've gone into this already. Um, not really a topic, but it, it, it's sort of like a theme of, of pathfinding. I I found after many years of reading the Old Testament and not understanding it, some at some point some light just came on, and I found that there's weirdly scientific things in some of the fantastical, um, magical things that that happen that just seem like oh just miracles or just kind of like. Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones-ish, fantastical things that appear in the Bible. But actually, when I looked deeper into them, I found, oh my God, if you boil them down to their core principles, go back, go to the first principles of what we're looking at, it's actually describing profound things in the natural world, or even more than just things, processes. Like, for example, evolution is a process. Your digestive system is a process. And so a lot of these... Um, seemingly weird, even apocalyptic, or just magical things in the Bible, when you stop thinking about them in terms of just poetry or just magic, and look at what are they actually describing, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how they describe things that are deeply complex things from the natural world that we've taken millennia to try to uncover. So I'll, I'll be looking at some of those things. I mean, for example, when you hear that Moses went up to the mountain and he encountered a burning bush and the flames didn't consume the, the branches or the leaves of the bush. And God spoke to Moses through an angel uh, through the burning bush. Yeah, it, it does sound like some miraculous Bible fairy story stuff. So I'll talk about that and then I'll just break it down in what I think is um, in a way that shows you a beautiful process to it that you can also identify in the natural world. So, yeah, I think that when God, when God did do those things, or when God inspired people to write those things, there was almost not coded messages, but there was deep, there was a deep meaning to them that we can extract. And, all right, so what's next? Metaphysics. All right, words like metaphysics and supernatural are words that most people don't understand. It's not because, I mean, I didn't understand them for decades. It's, it's because um, we often get used in a weird context. So what does it say here? Metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that studies the first principles of being. Let me just pause it there for a second. So when it says it's a branch of philosophy, um, often there's a, there's a bit of a war between scientists and philosophers, and they're, they're different disciplines. Scientists have a little bit of an edge, an example, because they've got substantial things they can on some things they can do empirical tests and so they can develop a theory but then often quite often they can test it and see if it's uh, a viable theory and if not it gets abandoned uh, but there are there are a lot of things in science that can't be tested because the technology isn't there or <coughs> it's just we don't have the scales it's too, too big a scale of the universe or we're in the quantum realm where we don't really even have fully understanding and and so what scientists will do is um They'll create a hypothesis or a theory, or sometimes a theory that's just not possible to be tested yet. And um, uh, for example, somebody could somebody could create some outlandish scientific theory uh, that if a sun is dying, 
would it be possible to regenerate the nuclear fuel within the sun somehow? Either, I don't know, bring it in from, from, from some kind of uh, nebula cloud. Anyway, it's just a fantastical idea that you could develop a whole theory with all the math of it, but there's just no way human beings would be able to test that theory, not for maybe a million years when we have insane technology. Um, and in philosophy, it's, it's the same. Philosophers don't just, don't just sit by a fireside smoking a pipe and just wishful thinking. Philosophers use logic, and it's an extremely strict discipline. And, yeah, it's the world of thought, but there are rule sets, and based on what we know, and they, they have to refer to science, and they have to refer to the, the biology and the human being and anthropology and all those things. And so uh, with philosophy, of course, somebody could just create some fanciful idea. Let me just switch this one. Somebody could create some, some like, fa fanc fanciful idea. Let me go to face for a minute but in reality um philosophy is, is a kind of a, not a science but a kind of a science and um and so we can we can chart our course in life with philosophy almost as much as we can with science and so metaphysics is a branch of philosophy and it's really the branch that that studies the as it says the first principles of being identity change space and time you know, well, dwelling on what the nature of time is, is as much a philosophical uh, endeavor as a scientific one. Nature of time, uh, causality. Causality would be where did the universe came came from? Most scientists think it had a beginning. It wasn't just always there. And uh, the Kalam cosmological argument says everything that has a beginning must have a cause. So metaphysics and philosophy would maybe discuss that. Is that true? Is it true that everything that has a beginning must have a cause? We know that's true for us. We were all born, and we had a cause. You know, our parents made love, frankly, and that resulted in impregnation and carried to time, and then we were born. And every TV that we have, every computer monitor, this keyboard, it all had a cause. So the universe began to exist. So the Kalam cosmological argument says it must have had a cause. And then the discussion would go into... Was that cause a personal being, like an all-powerful God, or if just if you don't want to use the word God, a, a being, or did it just happen without any cause? That would be metaphysics, and that would be part of philosophy. And so, also metaphysics includes questions about the nature of consciousness and the relationship between the mind between mind and matter. I'm really interested in that, and I've all talk about it. Called matter doesn't exist, <laughs> and. Um, so, yeah, metaphysics is a, a super important part of, of pathfinding. I won't just talk about one or, of these topics at a time. Any talk I give will probably involve all of them. Right, what's next? Spirituality. Okay, now I'm probably going to be starting to leave behind some of the people that are not really into the spiritual religious stuff. But as I said, um, everything I talk about should have a mechanics to it. So, if, even if somebody doesn't believe we have a spirit or don't, doesn't believe that God exists or we, have an after, we continue after death, then well, it's my job to make it interesting nevertheless and give, it, give them something to think about. So, yeah, spirituality, beyond physics, psychology, sociology, and even beyond theology. So, spirituality, it's a bit of a nebulous term, but it, it's really going to be 
focusing on the deep, deep down eternal us, the aspect of our, our nature that we think is eternal and continues on after our body dies. And I don't mean we float off and become part of a universal big gas cloud of spirits and we have no identity. No, we have as much focus and identity as ourselves. And so, yeah, I'll be talking about different groups and people's views of that. All right. And then, yeah, the nature of God. So I've written here, who and what is God? And by what laws and principles does God exist? I think the word here is aseity, God's aseity. There's a whole philosophical uh, discipline that studies God's aseity. And aseity means by, by what method does God maintain his existence? How is it that God, if he exists, is eternal and doesn't have an expiry date like we do physically? So, so uh, by what principles does God exist? Why did God create the universe? And especially why did God create us human beings? And what does God want? So I find those questions uh, really fascinating and exciting to dwell on. And whenever I, whenever I give a talk about all these subjects, I'll be talking about other people's views, other faith traditions' views, even atheists' views, um, the different views I've come across. So in my journey, I would have gone through you know, like not believing in God, starting to believe in God, joining a church maybe, adopting some of those things which I, I agreed with, to moving on to another group, and then finally where I am now. So that will be, yeah, super interesting talk. And then, yeah, didn't really feel like I needed to make any notes on this, just the purpose of life. Because now we're really getting down to it. It's why do we exist? What is our purpose? Human beings do not like it if they don't feel they have a purpose, something to work towards. And interestingly, we don't like it if we don't feel there isn't something greater than ourselves, which is kind of a humility, isn't it? That we love the idea that we're working, especially with others, towards some end which is bigger than ourselves. People have done it all throughout history. They're even willing to die for those such things. Even evil people, you know, wanting to oppress others and uh, exterminate others. Sometimes even they believed in something which they felt was bigger than themselves and that they, they cared about it so much they're willing to die for it, which is kind of insane. But, you know, people will die for their friends or their family or to protect their society or to build a better society, even to, to, to go into space and explore space. Human beings love that. But we also have a... We need to learn to take care of ourselves... We need to learn what is our individual purpose, not just what is the whole purpose. And then what is the interaction? Where do we fit in that? So the purpose of life, even though I didn't really make any notes about that because the topic is just so big, everything we talk about, all those other topics, they all really start to um, zero in on this because that's... And then self-development. What is that? Oh, yeah, let me just... Oh, it must have a hyphen. So self-development. Um, again, we're coming back to mechanics. Everything I've talked about so far, all these different topics, um, they... Let me just go back to full screen. All, all, all those... Or maybe this one. All, all those topics I've talked about so far, they should all come together like a roots of a tree. 
right? They all start out different strands are separate, but then they all converge and all come together, and then you get the whole tree. So they should all come together and not just be individual interesting topics, but they'd all, they, they should also help. Just like, you know, your body has all the different parts, the heart and the lungs and the legs and the vascular system, the nervous system. It all comes together. They're all so different from each other, but it all comes together to make a, a beautiful whole that really has a... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It has a, a oneness. And, um, and it all makes sense. And so all these topics, they could be studied and we could discuss them just for their own sake. But there has to be, for me, always a mechanical purpose, not just interested in them for their own sake. There has to be a mechanical purpose. So, and yeah, that all leads to self-development. And again, I believe there'll be useful tools in these talks um, that people who don't believe in God can put in interaction in their life, interaction in their life and get benefit, and those that do believe in God. Because and the reason for that is because um, if they have no interest in spiritual development, relationship with God, and uh, development of themselves in preparation for eternity, but they just want to develop themselves so they can get the best out of their life on earth, that's fine too. And the reason why I think it will still work is because, as I said, I believe that everything is based on the core principles. If you boil everything down, there's the root core principles, the first principles. So if I want to talk about God or my spirit or afterlife, how afterlife works, what are the, what's the science in the next world, or I want to talk about how trees grow or how chemicals work, all of them are based on the same core principles. So the things we talk about can be put into use whether you believe in the afterlife or not. And actually, this is pathfinding is not actually a religious, spiritual, outreach-type focused uh uh, themed live stream videos talk, talks um, it's really about personal self-development and finding the tools for understanding ourselves so my objective is not to get people to believe in God at all obviously I'm happy if that happens but if people find something useful in what I'm going to be talking about uh, but they don't believe in God then I'm happy about that too and so this is not. Um, it's not going to be. A, it's not a church. A churchy live stream. It's not a live stream for the purpose of evangelizing a religion or anything like that. For me, God is just a reality, as much as this table is a reality or atoms are a reality. I don't really see a separation or a difference, um, and and so I just talk about them all interchangeably. But some viewers may just have no interest in that side, but I feel that's okay because. Uh, there should be a lot of interesting things that I can impart. It sounds a bit pompous, that word, doesn't it, impart? So um, I think that for that reason, I don't really want to come, a, come to these topics from a religious point of view. Um, I want to come to them like a scientist or a philosopher, um, that just, but one who happens to also believe in God and factor spiritual things in. And again, the word spiritual just sounds so flighty. But for me, if I do talk about anything that you could call spiritual, I'll always do it in a scientific way with huge numbers of references to the natural world and how this functions and that functions. And so, yeah, there's a talk I'm going to give. Well, you see, I'm sure the topic is called 
designated energy and fostering energy. It's it's about how well I'll, I'll save that. But the point is, even if I do talk about spiritual things, I most most often be using scientific metaphors and scientific examples to to make my points. And also, the opposite is true. If I talk about some scientific things or things in the natural world, I might refer to something in the Bible that operates on a similar principle. I think it's easier to do it than to explain it, so you have to tune into the next few episodes. Especially, uh, in fact, the next, the next two or three live streams will be just that. It'll be a nice blend between the natural world and things, things in the Bible that seem flighty and, and magical but are actually just expressions of core universal scientific principles in the natural world. All right, what else? All right, so that's, um, yeah, I put lots of spaces between them. So let's just recap, shall we? I'll zoom past them without talking about them. So we'll be discussing ontology, physics, chemistry, biology, so science, evolution, anthropology, psychology, sociology, theology, uh, yeah, science founded in biblical symbols, metaphysics, spirituality, nature of God, purpose of life, self-development. So what's interesting about this list and the way I've arranged it, let me just bring these back, bring it on back to you, bring these back up like this, all right? So this list is actually actually upside down, <laughs> um, but that's the way word doc, docs go, because, so let me just, give me a second. So what I mean by this list being upside down is that when when you build something, you start with the foundations, right? And then you you do the the basics of the foundations, and then you move upwards from there. But if you list if you list the beginning requirements for something on a document like this, you start at the top, and the and the document works its way down. So so it's like an upside down building in a sense so the ultimate the ultimate goal the ultimate thing we care about is what is our purpose of life and how do we enact self-development that's beneficial for us and so so for me ontology is the foundational stuff the basic nature of reality and then you've got on top of that you've got something a bit more substantial which is physics and biology and chemistry and and then Based on that, we get simple creatures coming about, like small animals and stuff. And then, then the next topic would be evolution, right? According to that idea, if, if we're getting more complex and, and going up. And then after creatures have evolved, especially with humans, we have anthropology. I suppose anthropology could mean study of animals as well. I don't know if there's a different word they use when they're referring to animals or if it's just for humans, but anthropology of animals. So, um, yeah, after evolution is done, the next level on top of that is anthropology. And then the next level on top of that is the psychology. In a way, they're a bit interchangeable because you could say that the whole anthropology is dictated by the psychology. But I think they work in tandem, they influence each other. And then, of course, there's sociology, which is a result of uh, anthropology and psychology. 
And then after you have that, you have all the natural world and all the, all the human beings and the way we behave and the way we structure psychologically. The idea of pathfinding is that we have a, we have a soul, so our theology addresses, addresses that because um, there's more than just life, physical life. And then metaphysics is a little bit beyond theology because theology is a little bit more like the codified rule sets of religious living, whereas metaphysics is a bit looser and uh, it's not so partisan or what was the word? It, it doesn't ascribe to any particular religion. And then spirituality, which is the general term for our eternal self, and then there's, obviously, we're interested in the nature of God. But so interesting, it's not actually a list that's just vertical, it's more of a circle. Because ideally, when you get all the way to the top of the list, and you get the nature of God, who is the one that generates all the most fundamental ontological things, and even, even the, the energy that makes up the fundamental particles of matter, it's God. It's actually a circle. It's actually a cycle, even. And then, yeah, and then the purpose of life. So the idea is that we, we, dwell, we dwell on all these things and then um, we have a, hopefully, pathfinding will help people to have a, a deeper understanding. And the reason why every episode in this pathfinding live stream is going to be called Zero, Season Zero, it was going to be called Season 1, Episode 1, Season 1, Episode 2, about 50 talks to give. But I'm calling it Episode Zero because I'm actually still exploring them myself not just still exploring them, but I mean, I've been been exploring and formulating these ideas for 20 years or so, but uh, the presentation uh, will take place live. I mean, now you're seeing me edit just a little word here or there, but every time I give, give one of these talks, I'll watch it over and I'll think about that phrase could have been more efficient or that it could have done with this picture for illustration or this video. So it, it's kind of like a live exploration. I have this phrase I created because I'm also, I'm writing a children's book, the phrase I created is, every reader is a co-author. What do you think that means? Every reader is a co-author. Well, whenever we read a book, there's so much detail that's not in the book. Descriptions and even weather, all sorts of things. And every person who reads a book, especially a fiction book, they fill in all the gaps and add, put flesh on the bones, right? And add add the culture, and even, even they supply the emotions when you're reading the book. So really the, the writer of the book does a certain amount, but the reader does a lot of the heavy lifting. Every reader is a co-author. So I'm hoping that with these pathfinding talks and presentations, um, I'll be developing them further. So I've got, I've got self-contained ideas, and I've got what I think is a, some fascinating stuff. But hopefully I'll have interaction with viewers and... I'll learn from the viewers as much as they learn from me. And I'll learn from, I guess, is it called the Socratic method of teaching? You, you, can, you can develop ideas and understanding, but it's when you teach them and when you present them that you really formulate deep, the deeper understanding. So, yeah, it's, uh, the word is agile, isn't it? It's the ongoing, organic, agile process. As you can see by the, the rudimentary nature of this... Uh, oh, not even... See, that's the thing I forget to... I forget to show which screen I'm showing sometimes. So, so yeah, these topics, they, they start on the foundational things. And there's, there's other fields I'll, I'll be addressing as well. But these are the, the main ones. So I wrote some notes. 
to also add what pathfinding is about. I'll quickly go through those. So yeah, pathfinding has two aspects. It will be for those struggling to develop themselves, which is all of us, actually. It's not just uh, because I was struggled for so much time in my life, my teens, 20s, 30s, even 40s, still, still struggling. But especially, it was especially difficult younger. So, but everybody can always learn more about self-development. Uh, but so, so we'll be, I'll be giving talks to help people to understand the fundamentals of how to live. But also I'll be talking about some super high philosophical ideas. So, yeah, we all work on ourselves to any stage of person up will find the content. So people, whether people are struggling like I was when I was younger, or whether they're very happy and quite developed and disciplined in their life, I think there'll be something for everybody in there. Let me just, let me just move this to a, a way that I can see without the camera blocking it. Okay. So, yeah, I think it, it'll be helpful. Pathfinding is going to be helpful for those people that... Um, <clears throat> those people struggle, but fascinating and even helpful for those people that, that are not. So um, I think I've already talked about this. Pathfinding is going to dwell on the fundamentals of reality, also the, also complex things. Mechanics, put that one in bold. I'm going to I'm going to hammer that word home constantly. So yeah, because it's it's really important to me that everything have a mechanical understanding. That's why I like those you know those exploded diagrams. You see a clock. You might not have an idea how a clock works, but then you see those diagrams where it looks like it's just exploded. And you can, oh, there's a cog there and a spring there and the hand goes on that. It helps you to understand how something works when, when you can see the mechanics of it. It helps you appreciate it more. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be exploring as I give the talks. So it's not just, um, it's not just a sage on a mountain handing wisdom down. Um, when, you, when you do talks like this, you often... Can't have lots of realizations, so um, yeah, I've been I've been over that. It will come encompass all these different different topics. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the reason the the reason for this as stated, um, I see everything as part of an overall system. I mean, things seem to be separate. Uh, even God, I even think God is part of part of a whole system, and God operates under the same rules that even things in the physical world does. So, um, yeah, we'll be talking about those. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, about this after you after you live life for some years, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. You learn a lot of life lessons, and you think, "Oh my God, I wish I knew that when I was younger." I could have charted my life course a lot, a lot better. I'll give you one example, right? From a point of view of a person of faith, but it could, it could be applied to something else. I'll give you an example. When I was younger, I was really interested in spiritual development and understanding God, being closer to God, being a better person, all, all those kind of things. So I thought, naturally, those things are the highest attainable goals, so I should put my energy into pursuing those. And uh, so this could be something like praying a lot, reading the Bible, going and, going and serving my community, being a loving person, sacrificing, fundraising for my church or for some charity, doing those kind of things. And then um, 
So I put a lot of energy into those things, but I sometimes just felt empty and crashed down and didn't feel like I'm developing. And then you might go through ups and downs and periods where you're really feeling righteous energy to do good things and control yourself. And other times when, you, when you're just lazy and feeling a bit depressed. And this is kind of, I know it's a fundamental thing, so I feel stupid saying it, but it wasn't until much later when I had some health problems. Basically, my disc in my spine exploded and started cutting through my spinal cord. And somebody said to me something, and it just, it just made me think. And I realized, actually, it's not good to put all your energy into pursuing all the highest lofty goals. If it means that you're going to neglect fundamental things like nutrition, sleep pattern, um, socializing with friends, having relationships with people that, that really mean something because that will encourage you and give you a feeling of a reason to live. If, if, you're, uh, if you're working for some great charity, for example, and it's solving world hunger, it's such an abstract, big black hole of need that if you, if you neglect family, family members or if you neglect um, close personal friendships because you are sacrificing for the great cause, then actually you're going to wither inside. And so I learned that if I have good nutrition, I'm going to have a much more balanced emotional state of energy. So when I want to do things like focus on praying or, or being religious or working for charities, those kind of things, I'm going to be much better at that because I've taken care of the foundations. So this is just a kind of an example of, um, I wish I could, could have gone back to my 20s idealistic self and, and just said, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and learning about those things. Because I always had the mentality of like, when you're at church on Sunday, that's church thing, and when you're not in church, but everything is religious in a sense. <coughs> religion just means, re, it's the Latin, it means re, re, religious, religio, it's like a ligament, reconnection to God. So, yeah, I, I wish I would have understood those things, but it took me a lifetime of doing things the wrong way <laughs> to, to, to learn what a better way is. And so a lot of these talks that I will give will be with the idea that they could be of use to somebody who's, who's younger, who's just starting out in life, and maybe, yeah, that's inherited wisdom, so they can inherit it from me. And again, I think I said this last, last time in my other talk. I said, um, I said, for example, I said, sometimes I might talk about words like ontology, and then I'll explain what the word means. It's not because I think nobody knows I'm smarty pants, because some, some of those words I only learned myself fairly recently. It's not because I think nobody knows what they, those words means. The reason why I will explain them is because I know that some people don't know what they mean. And it helps if you're listening to a talk, if you can just get a quick reminder or explanation about the meaning of a certain word, rather than having to go and look it up later when you've already forgotten the talk or parts of it. So in the same way, I might sometimes talk about really, really, really fundamental basic things. And people who grew up like I did, with no nurturing at all, You'd be, you'd be shocked how difficult it is in your life to just um, do things like even, it might sound really stupid, like brush your teeth every day. You know, if you don't really have pride in yourself or self-love, generating the energy to go and brush your teeth when you just don't care about those kind of things, it's ridiculous. It wasn't until I was 40, that's why you can see I've got a pretty messed up uh, T-shirt, it wasn't until I was 40 that I, I, I switched and I, I started really taking care of my teeth. And it's embarrassing to say that, actually. But the reality is that there are some really fundamental things about life that a lot of people don't know. 
and just struggle to, it's not so much they don't know them, it's they struggle to generate the energy. They struggle to find meaning in them. And if you can't find meaning in them, you can't generate the energy. Energy is an interesting topic, if I can digress for a second. When I use a website that's badly designed, I feel mental pain that I have to click the mouse to one or two times more than should be needed. Because if there's a common part of the website that most people would want to go to, but the button's not there on the front page, you have to click through to two or three other pages to get to that. You feel it's ridiculous. Why can't they just put the button there? And then you think, well, what am I complaining about? That I, I use the energy to do this twice because of bad design and that's such a massive loss? Well, actually it is because it's not so much about we human beings, we don't care. Let me go back and chatting away. Human, human beings, we, we don't actually care about how much energy we use. That's not what bothers us. It's not even what tires us out. I mean, you can get two friends that could talk for 10 hours and they feel energized after 10 hours of chatting. It's not how much energy we use that bothers us or that tires us out. I should look at the camera that's on, shouldn't I? Um, it's actually if the energy was wasted or not. If we use energy and we feel there's going to be a return on that energy, I've spent some energy, whether it's a lot or a little, but it was well spent and there's going to be a return on it, then we don't feel tired from it. We feel inspired, actually. So when we use a website where it's just a, a little badly designed, so it makes us click around to find what we want, we feel irritated. Now, now I've gone ahead giving a digression of a digression and I've lost my, <laughs> lost my point. That's why I need people in the chat to tell me, oh, this is what you were talking about. So I was really talking about um, uh, generating energy for things. And, you know, if people are not nurtured <coughs> in their youth, you'd be surprised they can't find meaning in, it, in lots of things. They can't find meaning in keeping their clothes tidy or clean or brushing their teeth or getting up and going to work. Like for me, when I was younger, just having a job had no meaning to me because I just, just felt like I've got to get up early and go and work in this company eight hours every day and I'm exhausted. I come home and all I'm doing is waiting to go back to work and all I make is enough money to sustain myself so I can keep that process. So if people don't find meaning in something, then it's hard for them to uh, find a purpose in life or generate energy to live and to grow. And so sometimes I will talk about things that are, are re really basic things. And, um, and the people who are quite developed in that area, they might just feel this is silly, it's of kindergarten stuff. But actually there's a lot of people like me who, who struggle. And, and even if I do talk about sometimes when I go from like super high level concept things to really basic things, when I do talk about those basic things, I will actually use examples just like I did with the, the website and how we get tired from wasting energy, not from using energy. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? And, um, and so even if it's something that some viewers might feel, well, I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I'm already way past that level. That's great. But often we can learn things in life and not really understand them, not, not understand how we learn them or how they work. So I think there'll be something interesting uh, for even people that some of the topics don't apply to. So yeah, that's, um, that's one of the themes <coughs> of pathfinding. It's what would be useful to my, myself 30 years ago, for example, or 40 years ago, if, if I could have gone and, and explained about that. Um, yeah, I can't do that. So, <laughs> but I can, do, I can apply it to myself. 
So if I imagine myself in 20 years coming back and explaining those things, that's a bit complicated. But yeah, so I, so I can apply it to myself now. And, um, and hopefully somebody will watch some of these talks when I really start getting into the stuff and be able to take these tools and use them in life and, uh, and uh, improve their lives or accelerate faster in their development. And um, yeah, there, there's, this might also come up as a talk. There's an idea, I used to think um, technique amplifies power. There's another interesting kind of a metaphysical concept. You know, if you, um, if you want to do something and it's too difficult physically, but you use technique, it's easier. I was in Korea learning martial arts in the early 90s, and I was fascinated by the martial arts teacher. He was an old Korean guy, very small. But he could take guys and he could throw them over his hip with ease. And I was a young guy, 27 years old, and I tried it on a guy that's not that heavy. And I basically fell on the ground. I just collapsed in a heap. And I thought, well, how do these guys do this? It looks effortless. They're not, they don't even seem to be using that much physical power. How is it possible? And then people would say, oh, well, they've got great technique. And so I learned with many things in life, it's like that. Like you want to get a lid off a jar and you just won't come off. You put a, a wet cloth over it to get more purchase. Or for old people, they have these things that look like big ratchets or spanners where they put them over the lids and get better torque. Um, so I thought, yeah, that, that's the principle that technique magnifies power. And then I switched it to amplifies power. But then I realized both of those are actually incorrect. Technique does not magnify power. Uh, technique does not amplify power because you can't just magically add more power to something. So how does it work then? What is the principle behind that? You see, we use it every day in lots of situations. The actual principle, because if you think about it, if somebody has a microphone and a speaker, they, they're speaking and they use technique, well, technology is the same root word, technique, technology. They're speaking into the microphone and their voice is now 10 times louder, right? But, so we apply technology or a technique and we increase their voice. So the technique or technology amplified their voice. But actually it didn't because what the technology did was it fused your voice, electrical energy, to amplify your voice. So they had to introduce more power. So you, you produce a certain amount of power from your speaking volume, but they had to add power to it from an external source. So it, it gives the illusion that technique or technology is amplifying your voice, but it's actually not. It's just enabling your voice to be amplified by the power. The, power, the electricity power takes the shape of your voice or the sound waves. So if technique doesn't amplify power or magnify power, what is the correct phrase to describe that principle? And what I realized was, after about a year of thinking about that, I realized this is the correct way to describe it. Technique optimizes power. Technique optimizes power. So when we try to do something, like let's say, get a, get a jar, a lid off a jar that won't come off, and we put some ratchet on it, or we put some... Uh, cloth on it or something. We, are, we, we can use the same power, or we can even use less power, but the technique we use optimizes that power, so it comes up easy. But there's a theoretical limit to how much you can optimize it. 
And then once, once I realised that, one day I found myself, I don't know, maybe I just come across a lot of jars that have lids that are difficult to get off, but one day I found myself um, relying too much on technique. And I was trying to get a lid off a jar, and even with the cloth over it, it just wouldn't come off. And I was thinking, oh, my God, even, even with this technique, I can't get this flipping lid off the jar. And then and it, it just hit me. Because I was relying too much on technique, I was forget, forgetting to add enough power. So I just, I used the same technique and I just, I just tried harder. And sometimes that's, that's the way we think we can't do something and then we just think, just, just try harder. So I just try harder. And then with the technique and the effort, it came off. So sometimes you can get seduced by the concept of <coughs> technique optimizing power. And then just relying on technique alone. Uh, if, if the technique's refined to a super high degree, it's almost like the amount of power you need to do something is less and less and less. But it can never happen so that you never need any power. You reach zero. You might optimize the technique to such a degree it's insane and, and the power is almost imperceptible that you need. But you'll always need some, no matter how small it is. Anyway, so I, I'm just explaining that because it's the kind of things we'll be talking about in pathfinding. But then taking those principles, making them clear, and seeing how they apply to our lives. All right, let's see. Uh, let's, let's jump back to let's jump back to this and and read this because I'm going to finish soon. So, there's physics. Yeah. So it's like teaching my past self. Explains how what we are thinking of the content of this channel is what I would tell. My, yeah, I've just been through that. Yeah, and so sometimes another thing is that. When I was growing up, I would often hear what I call felonious wisdom. That sound, sounds weird, that phrase, felonious. So I, I would hear wisdom or advice from people that's just nonsense. And so pathfinding, I won't go into examples now because the stream's been quite long, it's one hour and 11 minutes. So the so pathfinding will be um, taking a look at some of these um, ideas that people pass around and this wisdom that people pass around about the best way to live. And just asking the question, is this true or is it just something that sounds noble and so people just say it? Uh, or is it even actually harmful? So I'll be looking at those. Okay, then, then there's this there. The pre if the precepts of religions in general and Judeo-Christianity in particular are true, then they should, does that say should, yeah, they should be able to be expressed in non-religious, non-theological ways and make sense. I honestly believe that. Any precepts in, well, from my, my experience is Judeo-Christianity, any precepts in those, if they are true, we should be able to express them in non-religious ways, in anthropological ways or psychological ways. Here's a great example that I love. There's a, there's a poem, I, I can't remember who it's from, I have to look it up. Uh, and, well, it's not a poem, sorry, it's a phrase by some philosopher. And it, it uses the phrase, Nature, nature red in tooth and claw. It's, it might be a poem. It's referring to how just brutal and nature is. And then there's a fellow, I've been meaning to look up, up his name so I can put it in a quote, and I will. He, he's, he's some philosopher. He made the statement, um, animals live by the law of nature, red in tooth and claw, but human beings live by another law. Not really a poem, though. Maybe that was supposed to be a poem. That, that wasn't supposed to rhyme, but 
But so his idea is that in the animal kingdom, animals just brutalize each other, murder each other, eat each other, and uh, enslave each other. And they don't care. They, they, their survival is the paramount importance, and they don't care about other animals. Whereas human beings, we have learned, at least some, we're like that. Obviously, we're still, we have an animal side. Human beings, we have learned to take care of each other. Even people that we're not necessarily related to or, or don't care about. I keep looking at the wrong camera, don't I? Let me just go back then. So, so, he, so his, his idea is that human beings live according to a different law, and I suppose he means a higher law. Maybe he means different, like, actually different law, but actually... I thought about it and I realized we actually live by the exact same law, survival of the fittest. We're totally human beings. Even the most noble human being lives by that same law. In fact, Christianity sort of introduced the idea of the strong serving the weak, the victim loving the enemy, those, those kind of things. And they really do seem to be a different law from the animal kingdom. The Roman uh, philosophy was might is right, right? If you can defeat somebody and invade them and enslave them, that means it's okay to do it by the very fact that you can do it. And, and so this the Christian nature of love and forgiveness and patience, um, well, patience is not just a Christian, love, love and loving your enemy, the strong serving the weak, uh, those were kind of revolutionary ideas. But actually they're the exact same laws of nature, of uh, survival of the fittest. How is that possible? It sounds like the opposite. But they're the same because, for example, it takes strength to apologize, or it takes strength to admit you're wrong, or it takes strength to be humble when your pride is trying to control you. It, it, it takes strength to um, be tolerant in situations where you should be tolerant. All those things take strength. And human beings that can cooperate in their societies, human beings that can... For example, if you have a society of people that can't overcome their desire to steal or kill or rape, they're enslaved by their own base animal passions. They're not strong, they're weak people. Whereas people that can feel the, all those different passions and wild, wild uh, impulses we have, but we can temper them and control them. And that's actually strength, isn't it? So a society of people that take care of each other and give way in traffic, or don't take out revenge when something's bad, don't just let the courts deal with it. All those kind of things that we, we are higher level in our behavior than the animal kingdom. But it's not a different law, it's the exact same law. It's survival of the fittest. Those societies survive and thrive because they have that inner strength. And they have the inner strength and the wisdom to do what's good on the whole for society and even for your own life. So... Yeah, so I will be talking about those things as well. And um, so, so yeah, if, uh, so that's the idea. If the precepts of religion and faith are true, I should be able to explain them just as I did, right? I, I, I linked the Christian way of thinking about forgiving your enemy and strong serving the weak rather than going around. And then I linked it into how that evolves out of natural law and it's the same law. So that's the, the pathfinding way. Yeah, and also the uh, anything, any ideas that I have that you think are useful or that are wise, they're not going to come 
from some sage on high on a mountain or from somebody who's perfect or highly developed or some uh, saintly person. Uh, quite the opposite. I've been struggling all my life to develop myself personally and uh, most of the time failing. <laughs> but I've always been somebody who self-observes or wants to learn about everything, ev how everything works. So even when I've failed, made mistakes, just a little bit of wisdom has gained. And so it's all, I feel like it's all come together now and I, and I can offer it. So it's going to be messy. I mean, I'm not going to be like some perfect person who's all serene and, and, and wise and just telling the underlings how to, how to live spiritually and how, how to be better people. I'm going to be somebody who's got all the scars and is still fighting, to be honest, still struggling. And, and so it, it, maybe that's going to be more engaging because uh, I'll tell some funny stories and some horror stories about, about my life and uh, some things that behavior I'm ashamed of and, and some things I'm proud of. And so it'll be down and dirty, sleeves rolled up version of <laughs> guidance about what, what a good way to live is and what a good way to understand life is. And of course, I also won't be like a know-it-all who knows absolutely everything. There's massive, massive gaps um, in, in my knowledge. And so the idea is that um, what I have learned, I can talk about and people can take that and use it and separate the message from the messenger. Because uh, if I do inspire somebody with, with a talk that helps them a little bit, the tendency, especially with online type people, is to start to be a fan of those. I'm not looking to get any fans at all. Um, uh, I want people to separate the baby from the bathwater. I'm the bathwater. The baby, the baby is any kind of um, wise advice I can give. So focus on the baby, not the bathwater. <laughs> all right, so uh, almost finished. Next is... The opening, the unfinished talks. Uh... Yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, I think I've just been throughout. So now I'm going to show the topics. Let me just go to that one again and then make this a bit bigger. So I took a screenshot of, of the Google Sheets where I've listed all the topics. There's a couple of replicated here. There's about 50 or 60 here. Uh, but there's there's a lot lot more, and I'll probably be adding some. I'll, I'll just go through a, a few of them quickly then. Maybe I can big this up so it's just a bit nicer to look at. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll turn my camera. So so basically, pathfinding overview. That's what I'm doing now. Then the foundational principle of reality. So that, that's going to be my very next talk, and it's going to be about trees. So there's that. I, you probably thought I was going to be talking about some theological, spiritual principles or about God. No, I'm going to be talking about the foundational principle of reality or what I think is. And it's really going to be about the structure and function of trees. It's going to have some wild, wild stuff in it and some quite out there theories of mine. But... Uh, Hey, I'll let you be the judge. People subscribe or keep watching, then there was something in it for them. But uh, it's going to be a longish talk, maybe an hour or so, about trees, how tree structure is in everything we see, from the biggest things in the universe to the smallest things to our biology, and, and how the trees function, just how fascinating that is. 
and you know, the, the Bible's just full of metaphors of trees. Uh, and so I'm going to be linking the reason for that. And I was going to call this talk, God is a tree, but, or you are a tree. <coughs> I might do that in a segment. But anyway, so that's, that's what the talk is going to be. And then the next talk, or the, what is the Logos, is in the Bible it talks about, New Testament it talks about the Logos, the Word. And Jesus was made for the Word. I, I disagree with that. So I'll be talking about what that means. Here's a preview. It, it really means the principle by which God created everything. Or if you don't believe in God, the principle by which everything exists. Uh, I'll be talking about another talk is the tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of course, there's a Garden of Eden uh, uh, images from the book of Genesis. And there's lots of different people, including Jordan Peterson has given a talk about them, who, who have their view of them. So I'll be talking about what their views are and then what my past view was based on my theological understanding and then what I think is a new and unique take on this. And uh, here's another preview. It's not a religious talk in the sense that it's not just religious. Uh, pathfinding is about the bigger picture that encompasses religion and spirituality and the physical world and everything. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of uh, life, they're not actual trees, they're not metaphors for something poetic, but actually deep, deep principles that, um, that relate to the foundations of reality. So it's, it's really profound. So we're starting out with a magical story in Genesis, but I'm quickly going on to <coughs> natural science and those kind of things. Uh, straight lines and curves. I don't even know if that title would mean anything to people if I didn't explain it. Um, the error preview is... Um, we see, when I was growing up, I would, I would often see that um, human beings tend to build everything. We're obsessed with straight lines, cities, buildings, roads, boxes, monitors. Almost everything on this desk is square or got straight lines on it, right? And we're very good at it too. Whereas nature, everything's all swirly and curvy. And then you even see people in movies or books talk about how it's unnatural that, that we make everything straight lines and we're a blight on the landscape or... The human, there's, a, there's a movie called The Human Stain. And there's this idea that somehow human beings are outside of what is nature and we impose unnatural shapes and structures on everything. And so I'll be, that, that comes under the, under the topic of those things which are commonly thought by many people, that I'll be exploding those myths. And I'll be going into a lot of deep detail about, about that, just on, based on the concept of straight lines and curves. <laughs> Um, for all these topics are not in order that I'm going to give them. They're just um, ra random on the Excel sheet. So uh, what's this next one? Forming spiritual organs. Yeah, in our body we have organs and they, they allow us to function as an entity. All the food you eat has poison in it, but your organs filters all that poison away and enables you to, enables you to uh, function as a body. Everything functions well. But spiritually, it's the same thing. And if you don't, again, if you don't believe in God, you can think of it in a, just as a conceptual thing about emotions. Um, you know, there's um, we have a vascular system where veins transport blood all around our body, and in the blood, it's not just blood. There's all sorts of hormones and chemicals that our body needs to shift around and send here or there. And sometimes, what they do is they they pass through the the membrane walls of the veins and enter our body 
and that's what they're supposed to do. But there are certain chemicals and drugs, as the body circulates around our body, it goes all the way around our body, into our lungs, around our brain. There are certain chemicals that cannot be allowed to pass through the membranes of our veins when, when, when the veins are passing through the brains, because if they get into the brain, they cause all sorts of havoc. So the brain, when, when the veins pass through our brain, they have a coating, a covering, to block that from happening. And I've noticed in a similar way, when we have emotions about things, emotions is like blood, it's like love, or it's like blood. So when we have emotions about something, I've done it again, I've now been staring at that camera. I need a light on the camera that comes on so I know which one's on. When, when, we, um, when we have strong emotions about something, I notice that I call it bleeding. Sometimes our emotions can bleed one into the other. Like um, somebody might have a big issue with their father. Their father wasn't very kind to them growing up. And then they get, they get a job and they work in an office and there's a guy who reminds them of their father. He hasn't done anything wrong at all. But just they have, they treat him badly and they have, um, they, have a, they have a bad attitude towards that person, right? So what they've done is they've had emotions about one area of their life and they've just allowed it to bleed into another area. And then this, this anger that should have been also contained uh, for the thing that was hurting them, it's contaminated something else and it's triggered systems and then they start victimizing this other person because they think in their unconscious mind they're punishing this other person so because they allowed all that bleeding it all just becomes all mush so as we grow up and we mature, we mature and we learn self-discipline and emotional discipline and mental discipline we're really constructing ourselves constructing the shape of all our what i call internal spiritual organs so anyway that's just a i guess i've just given the whole talk there haven't i so that, but there's more to it than that so uh Chaos and order, yeah, that's, a, that's another interesting talk I'll be give. Purification principle, how do things get purified, whether it's uh, petrochemicals, alcohol, food, or emotions. As I said, the same principles on the spiritual, emotional side apply in the physical world, or vice versa, because they're all part of the same root cause. So I'll be talking about those. Visibility and invisibility, that's a fascinating one. There's actually no such thing as something being invisible. Things do not have an intrinsic quality of visibility or invisibility. So we're talking about that. Adam's rib. <coughs> These are the, the Bible metaphor ones that I talked about. So let me just go back to more from faith. So, yeah, Adam's rib, I'll be explaining a scientific, uh, what, what that says. It's basically a description of something scientific. The Star of David, the same. The menorah. These are Jewish symbols. The meaning of 666, that's a big one. People love that, don't they, from Book of Revelations. I'm still looking at the wrong camera now. People love the 666, the meaning of the devil. So I'll be giving a talk about what that really means. Um, and this one, yeah, the title is a bit uh, controversial. It's called The Beauty of Pain, Anxiety, and Depression. Basically, I'll be talking about how each of those things is a natural system within us it has a purpose. You might not feel good, so we hate it when we feel it, but it has some kind of purpose, even depression. Uh, I'm going to be adding one also called The Beauty of Anger, Aggression, and Violence. That sounds quite provocative. So, again, same thing. So I'll be talking about the, more in detail the purpose of pain, the purpose of anxiety, the purpose of depression, as well as 
some tools about how to deal with them. Obviously, I'm not just going to be thinking, oh, this is a great system, it works psychologically, but they all have a psychological purpose. And there are some things in life that we need to fix indirectly, not directly. And so, for example, if you're sad you, you, because you've had an argument with a friend, you don't fix it by taking a drug to stop being sad. You're going to fix a relationship with a friend, and indirectly, it causes the sadness to go away. Okay, uh, pillars of self-realization. This, this is a big one. This is a basically, I, I was calling it life manifesto, but it sounds too political. It's kind of like all of these things I've been talking about in one sort of condensed booklet where we can address each of them to affect our lives, to, to build ourselves up. Relationship between emotional intellect and will, I guess that speaks for itself. Fostering energy and designated energy, I've talked about that a little bit. How to generate willpower. Yeah, in my life, um, growing up, was my biggest problem. Uh, no problem generating emotion or, or thoughts, ideas, but willpower was always, and still, to be honest, still, I'm, I really struggle with willpower. And uh, it's a lot better now because now I feel like I understand willpower. And willpower, it turns out, it's not what we thought it was. And uh, so, yeah, it's a psych that's in the realm of psychology, but I'll be talking about that. Let me move this over a little bit. And the other talks will be, and again, they're not going to be given in the order you see here. Stop jumping up and down. Right. Um, distinguishing between packaging and content. You know, when we buy a product, the packaging is only useful. Or if you buy a chocolate bar, for example, the wrapping on the chocolate bar is valuable and useful. But the instant you take it off, it becomes garbage. <laughs> it changes its uh, metaphysical state, in a sense. And so, and, but in life, I notice there are sometimes things in life which we think is content, but it's really packaging. Um, in, in a sense that, like the booster on a spaceship, it's, it's not really... It's there just to get the spaceship into orbit, but once it's in orbit, it becomes uh, a burden, a drag... And so in life, there are sometimes times when we think a certain aspect of life is integral to our life and important to the core of us, but it's actually just packaging. So I'll be, I'll be talking about that. Uh, all right, real worlds and imaginary worlds. So maybe that's a version of the talk I'm going to be giving that's called Magic, Illusion and Reality. Although I was going to call it Magic, illusion, reality, and real magic. So you know, there are a lot of things that we, we have magical thinking about that we think are real, but actually just illusions. And the real real is something... Um, somehow if we strip away the sense of magic about it, even though the magic part is not real, it can be depressing just to think, just look at the dry real world. But there's a deeper magic behind the real world. So it's, it's a question of learning how to see that. Uh, the movie Amadeus, one of my favorite movies, it has a really interesting correlation to the relationship between Lucifer and Adam and Eve in the Bible. So that's talk. How to pray. That sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? Telling people how, <laughs> how to pray. I'm the big expert. I know God. I'm going to tell you how to pray to God. But to be honest with you, since I became a person of faith in my late teens, I would say it took me 20, 20 years? Yeah, about 20 years before I could even 
start to pray properly. Before that, it was just like theatrics. Heavenly Father! And, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, does God want me to say this word? Do I have to talk about this? But really understanding myself and developing a relationship with God then and, and thinking scientifically about, well, what is prayer? And again, let me just use that word, mechanically. I needed to know mechanically what's the purpose of prayer. How does it work? What does it do? So, yeah, after 20 years of struggling with that and then learning how to pray, I think um, I can possibly find a way to talk about that without coming across as being completely arrogant. <laughs> so, so hopefully that'll help people as well. Good and evil? Yeah, there's some fascinating things to discuss. There's so many different opinions about what is evil. Is, is, is evil necessary so good can be good in contrast? Anyway, so... It will be, that will be a fundamental to talk about that. Oh, yeah, the internal and external aspects of truth. So, truth and logic, it has kind of like a two parts to it. So the aseity of God and humans, yeah, this will be a, a logical, philosophical uh, meditation on how it is that God exists for eternity and, and humans essentially will. What is God? Yes, uh, that'll be an interesting talk about the nature of God. What kind of being is God? Um, how to talk to God, I guess that's a bit different. I've got some notes on it. It's slightly different from the prayer one, but I'll probably fuse those two in the talks. Ultimate, oh yeah, the ultimate evolution and growth of human beings. So we're on a journey, right? We're evolving, and we've re now reached the point where the environment doesn't really dictate human beings' evolution because we control the environment so we can decide what the environment is and so indirectly decide what we will evolve to be um, but internally spiritually as well there's an ultimate goal to our evolution and um, we're still on the journey so I'll be talking about that do animals have souls and reincarnation when I was younger I used to think animals don't have souls but that was just based on kind of like human arrogance really it was just based on the idea that I need something else to be less so I can feel special. That's no way to, that's no, that's no way to uh, philosophically chart, chart a course and find answers. <clears throat> so now I sort of do believe slightly in reincarnation and animals have souls, but it's more that, how can I say, I think God used evolution to bring about our physical bodies. It took 12, 12, 13 billion years to get there as well. And who, who, who knows how long, how much preparation went into the pre-Big Bang phase. So, so God himself would take that long to create a human body through all the stages of evolution. But then when a baby's born, just snaps a soul into existence like that. The human body is just a temporary thing that just lives for 50 to 100 years. But it still took God a... 14 billion years to bring it about. But we think that then creating an eternal soul would just, just like that? No, I don't think so. I, I'm starting to lean towards the idea. And this comes in the realm of hypothesis, which is not even a theory, it's an idea. I'm starting to lean towards the idea that God started to incubate the raw material of our souls in animals of lower and lower degrees. And as all animals evolved, before human beings either came up on the scene about six million years ago, before all, as all animals evolved, some aspect of them had an eternal aspect, a spiritual aspect. 
And when the animals died, some aspect of that was used in the next level of animal. It's not a, com not a completed, worked-out theory. And that God evolved our souls at the same rate and same time frame as he evolved our bodies. And when we were born as human babies, that's when real consciousness started to begin. So anyway, that, that, that's a, the talk is along those lines. It's more exploration. It's not a, it's not a fully thought-out idea. Um, yeah, I'm leaning towards that idea. Oh, yeah, this one. This is more religious. But yeah, again, this could be used in... This could definitely be used in... Um, this could definitely be used in uh, for non-religious people. So the mechanics of repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation and redemption. So in, in, in maybe Judaism or Islam, it's more a question of... I'm not sure if Muslims believe that they're God's slaves or just servant level, or if they actually believe God is a father and their children. Uh, so I'm not that familiar with Islam. Uh, to be honest, I'm not even... I think Jews believe that God is a father and that Jew, the Jewish people are God's children. But Christians definitely believe that God is a parent and that we're his children. And um, so in Christianity, at least, there's the idea that if you've transgressed, you can repent, <coughs> you can be forgiven, and that heals the breach, whether it's between us and God or between others. Interestingly, there's, a, there's some advice from Jesus in the New Testament where Jesus tells somebody if they're on the way to the temple to pray, meaning they're on the way to spend time with God, and they remember that their brother, he says, if you remember your brother has something against you, then um, if, if you remember your brother has something against you, then first go and reconcile with him before you go to God. So that's quite interesting. God, Jesus didn't say prioritize God, put God first in your life in that particular situation, did he? And so there's a mechanics to everything, isn't there? If you, if you do something wrong or if your friend has done something wrong and, you, and it causes some kind of breach between you, there's a mechanics to how you fix that. You know, you could just sweep it under the rug and say, let's just act like it didn't happen because we want to get back to the convenience of being together. And I've noticed some couples do that, actually. They enjoy that state, a lovey-dovey state. And when there's a breach, they want to get back to that state as quick as possible, so they sweep it all under the rug, but those resentments just fester. So there's actually a mechanics of how to heal a breach, just like there is a mechanics in how to build a relationship. There's a mechanics of how to heal a breach. So... Uh, the first stage is obviously if the person, if one or both have done something wrong, to feel bad about it and admit it to themselves and repent for it, and uh, and then the next stage is obviously saying sorry. And if you've done something really wrong, like smashed your friend's car up, paying for it, it to be fixed, and yeah, and this is going to be quite a deep talk. And if if they can see, it's interesting if people that you've hurt can see that you're truly sorry. They can forgive you so easily. But if you're insincere, insincerely sorry, you just want to get away from the punishment or you want to just get their friendship back without fixing it, it's hard for them to go. People don't actually have control over their resentment. The other person does. The other person can trigger it and they're willing to just let it go a lot of the time. Not always. But, um, so repentance and then, you know, if, if you repent and you apologize and make amends and forgiveness... And following forgiveness is reconciliation. 
And you know, on a larger scale in the concept of uh, salvation in Christianity is redemption. We redeem ourselves from being... Uh, I like to use the word poisoned, actually. I, I don't like the word sin. Especially I don't like the word sin in terms of original sin. We're born guilty. I don't, I don't believe in those terms. Uh, we're born poisoned, right, with sin. And it's our responsibility to fix it. But I'm not going to apologize for something <laughs> that, that some ancestor did or repent for something some ancestor did. I'll accept the fact that I've got the burden because it's damaging me and I'll work to fix it. But I don't like calling it sin. Uh, if I do something wrong, I can call that sin. Anyway, so redemption is about really fixing that problem, curing that, that, that poison. And um, so this will be an interesting talk. Then my three unanswerable questions. That sounds a bit pompous, doesn't it? So it's just, there are some questions that, well, three, three in particular, <laughs> that I just feel like maybe at this stage of our evolution or it's not possible to answer, but they're interesting questions anyway. This one is, Oh, this is a biggie, isn't it? Why God allows pain and suffering. How many people have given talks about that? Interestingly, whenever I... I love the Christian philosopher William Lane Craig. Uh, he's a theologian, but he's also got a PhD in philosophy. He's got two PhDs. I can't remember what the other one is. <laughs> Reminds me of Dr. Vinkman from Ghostbusters when he, when he says, what exactly are you a doctor of, Mr. Vinkman? That's the, the city guy. And then he goes on to talk about how he's got a PhD in psychology and parapsychology. Anyway, for some reason, when I think about William Lane Craig having two PhDs, I always think of Dr. Vinkman from Ghostbusters, although they're completely different characters. But um, I'm a big fan of the guy who plays the, uh, the, the, the city administrator who's getting in their face all the time. I think that's a funny guy. Anyway, getting back to this topic, um, which is what? Oh, yeah. So... Great Christian theologians like Dr. Craig, who is amazing, when they give talks about this, why God allows pain and suffering, because obviously it's a question that comes up a lot, I never feel the answers that satisfying. Some aspects are, but I often feel the answers are somewhere... Some, if somebody says, well, you suffered horribly because you fell into a machine and <laughs> it mangled you up and ripped your face off and tore your arms and legs off, but you survived. But as a result... You learned that God has experienced suffering, so it brought you closer to God. I'm sorry, but th those explanations are not satisfying. It would be better not to get mangled up by the machine, right? Uh, and maybe it's true that the, the deep heart you develop because you understand other people's suffering and God's suffering is a good thing. It's not worth paying that price for. You, for you wouldn't push somebody into the machine, would you? You, you, you wouldn't push somebody and sit into the machine. It's like James Bond on the edge of the holding his tie, and he's saying, no, please. And he's saying, oh, it's going to be good for you. You're going to develop a deep heart, and you're going to know God, so I'll let you fall into the machine and get mangled up. If you wouldn't push them in, or if you wouldn't jump in yourself so that you could experience that, then you can't say it's worth it. But what you can say is, this is a horrible thing that happened to you, and it should never have happened. It's better that it couldn't, didn't happen. But we can at least rescue some benefit from it, Right? That at least is, an, is a, a mechanical explanation that's reasonable. But um, that doesn't explain why God allows suffering, just because some benefit can be gotten from it. It's kind of like saying, you've been working on this restaurant for the last... Oh, you invested in somebody's restaurant. You invested a million dollars, and the restaurant collapsed, and all the assets were sold off, and you got 10 cents on the dollar back, right? 
That's like saying, so it's a good thing. Look, it's a good thing because you've now got $100,000. No. Um, God, God allows suffering. The idea that God allows suffering because we can glean a little bit of benefit from it is not satisfying to me. It's not emotionally satisfying to anybody. So I believe, being arrogant again, I believe I've got a, a mechanical explanation for this. I mean, come on. Either, either God's sadistic because he built a world where it's very likely a lot of people are going to suffer horribly. He's indifferent, so people are suffering, but God just doesn't care one way or the other. Or he really, really, really cares about the suffering and wishes there wasn't so much suffering. And I think it's the latter. And if it is, I have to reconcile this, because God is the one who set the parameters, right? God built everything, right? God, you know, if you fall into a volcano, you get burned to pieces, Right? God made that volcano and he made your nervous system. So, sorry, you've got to, we've got to find a way to give people a satisfying answer about that. And I think I have the answer. So, um, yeah, just stay in touch, stay in, stay in touch, subscribe, and we'll get to this talk eventually. But, um, yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic. And I, I do think uh, I've got some good things to say about it. Next, the inherent dangers of resurrection. Well, there you go. People... People, um, spiritually, this is spiritually, but it could apply to things like drug addicts who get clean. Uh, people um, people who feel, are spiritually dead, let me go full face for a while. People are spiritually dead, and then you get in touch with God, and you start to change, turn your life around and change your life again, and you get happier and happier. But there's, I found there's, uh, there's dangers in that. Namely, the the deader you are, the deader your appetites are. So the deader you are spiritually or emotionally, your your appetites um, are also depressed and dead. But as you come alive, all your appetites and everything, your natural things, grow as well. And and there's a great danger. That's why people people become more beautiful the more happier and spiritual and closer to God they become. But then they become targets of temptation and, and they see the beauty in others and there's temptation in that to, to do things the wrong way. So uh, let me just go back again so you can see it. The fronty. So um, yeah, that, that's an interesting topic too. We're almost there. Two languages. This talk is about how everybody who speaks a language even if everybody just speaks one language, like I only really, I speak a bit of Korean, but only, only really speak English. Everybody speaks one language. They actually, human beings operate with two languages. Because I'm a religious person, I use this term. We have a heavenly language and a satanic language. If you're not religious, you can just call it a honest and dishonest or something like that, uh, or nurturing and parasitic. So this is a really interesting topic because we say certain things in certain languages. For example, from a heavenly point of view, uh, a servant is the highest being. And, but from a satanic point of view, a servant is the lowest being. But we have the same word servant. One means a holy, high person. That's why Jesus washed people's feet, to, to make that point. Um, parents serve their children. Owners serve their dogs, right? But from a satanic point of view, 
The lowest person who is dominated is forced to serve the highest person who has the power. But from a heavenly point of view, the person who has more power and more wisdom and knowledge serves others. Even in England, we, we have the concept that the queen is a servant of the people. Or the most powerful person in the country, who is the prime minister, what, what is the word? Minister. He's the prime minister. He's a servant, right? So from a heavenly point of view, um, the parent or the teacher or the leader or God is a servant, they serve us. And, but from a satanic point of view, the mafia boss or the tyrant is in power and the weakest people serve them. So this is, this is just an exploration about how heavenly language and satanic language cashes out differently in the way we use it. Um, and it's so interchangeable because we're, we're, we're vacillating between good si our good side and our not-so-good side. But we, have, we use one language, and so we can be quite slippery in the way we use them. Alrighty, what's next? Uh, purpose of life. Okay, I guess that speaks for itself. Is there life after death? I'm going to make a case that there is. I'll let you decide. Mostly I'm going to be using natural world examples and principles. Heaven and hell. There's going to be a talk about um, what actually is heaven. And what is hell? I'll leave it at that. What is nostalgia? Yeah, I, uh, I took psychology classes when I was in my late teens. I remember a psychology teacher oh, saying, oh, psychology, it's very cynical. Psychology, uh, nostalgia is just a trick of the mind. It's just it's your mind tricking you into blah, blah, blah. But I, I think I have some a good alternative explanation about what nostalgia is, and it's pretty amazing. Next, traversing the valley of respect. These are all working titles. Some of them are a bit clunky. So this is talking a little bit how when little children grow up, they idolize their mother and father. They're like, they're like gods, they're like mini gods to them, to them, right? They're definitely like giants. They think their parents can do everything. And then there's a certain stage where, this is similar to the magic illusion and reality. There's a certain stage where the magic fades away when they get into the angsty teen phrases. And then all this, they start to see that their parents do have faults after all. Right? There are other people greater than their parents, other people that make more money, or other people more handsome, or, and they become a little bit ashamed of their parents. And then they, this magic falls away because it was kind of a, partly an illusion. And then they have children of their own, or their parents, when they get older, they, they see, they basically they see that their, the, the, the wonderful thing about their parents wasn't their power, it was their love. When you're, when you're little children, you're in awe of your parents' power and ability and knowledge. Of course, children completely absorb their parents' love. But the reason they look up to them is often these, these ideas, uh, more shallow ideas about parents' power. And then when they, when they see the limitations to their parents' power or even weaknesses within their parents, they sort of feel a bit deflated by it and look down on them. A bit like in the Bible when... Um, Noah saved all his family by building the ark for 120 years, however long it was in real reality. And then he saved them all when everybody else drowned. And then he got blotted afterwards, had a night out by himself, and was lying naked on inside the tent. And his children were ashamed of him, right? They should have been in awe of him. Anyway, so then children, uh, later, they, they, got, they hit that valley in their teens, in late teens, where they don't respect their parents. And then they, find, then they find deeper wisdom where they realize, ah, my parents are great, not because they were powerful, but because they loved me 
even when they were suffering and they didn't have power. That makes them, that's, makes them more great. Similar to, we experience that in many things in life. Similar to the to magic illusion reality, when we, we, have this, we have this idea that something's magical, then we learn the science behind it, well, it's just scientific explanation. Or, or we learn that actually often it's just an illusion. But when people fall in love, it's kind of an illusion. It's just chemicals in their body making them bond so they can mate because they have to be the right genetic, a good mix, and their bodies have decided that. And then that fades away, so the magic fades away, the illusion fades away, and then ideally they build a proper relationship in the meantime, and that becomes a real love, real spiritual love. So magic, illusion, reality, and magic again. Real magic, no, it's magic, illusion, and reality, and then the second part is, and real magic. So, you know, real love is real magic, and, and so is lots of things in life. So, um, yeah, what about that? Next one is the barbaric cruelty of some dog breeding. This is a bit of a departure, but it's just it's a talk that I think will be interesting. How people breed dogs because they like the way the dog looks. But a lot of dog breeds have horrible breathing problems. Or they have hair all over their eyes and they can't see. Or they can hardly walk because they've got weird legs because people thought they looked cute that way. I'll be making the point that it's not really good stewardship condemn an entire species to breathing problems, right? Or some species are shaking with nerves and neurotic all the time because people wanted that little handheld dog. It's not really um, good, good stewardship of nature or even animal love, not only to do that to one dog, but to an entire species for an interminable period. So, yeah, that would be an interesting one. Um, and this is the easy way to end graffiti. Or I've developed a, a psychological profile of graffiti and a system to just end it, just like that. Using technique instead of money. So that's an example of instead of throwing money at it, making laws, throwing people in prison, just a certain approach to graffiti it could bring it to an end just like that, I think. Or I could be talking complete nonsense and then somebody can tell me that. Next is uh, what children see. This is a talk about how you know, when I lived in Korea for eight years, the contrast is that society is, is changing now, but society was all focused around creating the most nurturing atmosphere for children, both in families and in society. So they would think twice before they put overtly sexual or overtly super scary horror pictures on big posters everywhere, uh, because they knew children have to see those, and it can really damage their psychology at a young age to see them. So I've, I've been collecting pictures over the years of things that I think... It's not wise for us to have on giant billboards where lots of little tiny kids have to look at them all, all the time. And, yeah, you know, the talk, difference in character and personality. So there's a few talks there, isn't there? And uh, I've got some, some more. It won't be just me talking to the camera like this. Jump back to here. It won't be just me talking to the camera. With almost all of these talks, I have huge numbers of slides and diagrams and videos and sound samples, I think, on some of them, but, and, pic and pictures. So it will be not just my ugly mug looking at the camera, but something to distract you as well, some nice pictures. But, you know, relevant things I've been collecting over many years and that I think really illustrate the points I'm going to make. But look at that. Oh, my gosh. I've been talking for two hours, one hour, 56 minutes. Uh, I could go on. I could go on for a long time, but I won't because this is supposed to be just introduction to pathfinding. So most talks, I think, 
maybe we'll be half an hour to an hour, some 90 minutes. I don't know because I've never really given most of them before, so we'll see how it goes. And then after I've given those talks, I'll chop them up and take certain segments and upload videos according to those segments. So let me do one last camera change. Boom. Uh, so I hope that went well. I hope uh, it gave an idea of what, what's coming with pathfinding. As I said, I've got 50 or 60 talks. I'll probably add some more. And so I'll give them all. And uh, the next talk on trees, tree structure and design, and how everything in the universe is based on tree structure, that talk will be called Pathfinding Season 0, Episode 1. And it won't, won't be until I've gone through them all at least once, and then I start again, maybe in a year, that I can think to myself, yeah, I've, I've got that presentation made up, and so I can call it Episode 1. So I can call it Season 1. So the first is more more uh, agile, organic development of these talks. As I give them, I'll be, you know, if I've got a date to give them, I will be motivated to uh, work on the presentation before and after. So the next talk will be on Tuesday at 7 p.m. UK time. Um, I think it's a good day to do it and a good time to do it. Although earlier today, my neighbor had a washing machine that was shaking like crazy, so I'll just have to work through that. So thanks for watching and if you're watching on either Facebook, YouTube or Twitch, consider going to the other ones and subscribing or following or whatever it is they call it on each each one. Um, I live stream and it gets sent to all three at the same time, Facebook, YouTube and Twitch. And with them with Facebook and Twitch, you can watch what they call the VODs, video on demand. You watch the video after the live stream is finished. And uh, with YouTube, yeah, it's the same. Only I'll just I'll edit the titles a bit. I think this one, I think on YouTube right now, streaming is just called testing. Um, I guess I didn't figure out how to change the title on that. So yeah, I'll see you on Tuesday for the very first pathfinding talk. Thank you for watching, and see you soon.